Good morning, everybody. I think we'll uh, start. Good to see you all. Uh, my name is Jakob Högilt. I'm Professor of Arab Studies at the University of Oslo. And I'm uh, very happy and honored to be chairing or moderating this uh, seminar, this conversation on the interface between research and uh, visual arts. And we've got a, a very uh, interesting panel and a pretty tight schedule. So I'll not be talking, I'm not going to talk for, for, for long. Uh, of course, the connections between, the mutual connections between society, politics and art, uh, visual art are well known from, from my own context, you know, at one end of the sort of this, the scale of macro uh, political influence. You have the murals of Banksy in, in Palestine. And in the same place, at the other end of the, of the scale, you have micro, uh, the micro effects when you know Palestinian kids are able to uh, get a break from a bleak, uh, bleak day, and you know have art therapy classes and, uh, and art classes in, in refugee camps. The, these connections are, I mean, there, there are tons of examples. Now, less talked about and less known, but no, no less real, are the connections, the interface between art and research. And that's uh, what we're going to talk about today from sort of both ends of, uh, of those, two, those two things, art and research. And we have a wonderful panel of artists and researchers. So from uh, Syria and France, we have uh, Diara Bursli, who uh, had to leave uh, Syria, now lives in France and has um, is uh, a visual artist, uh, has also uh, passed in animation. Um, and uh, I encourage you all to see her, would you call it a mural, Diala? Or yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it already, yeah, you should go and admire it uh, afterwards. Um, and we have Omar Khouri from uh, Lebanon, who is uh, also a multi-artist. Uh, for me, who I'm a lover of comics, so I know him from as a co-founder of Samandal, a famous Lebanese comics collective and, and a hub for visual artistry in, in the Arab world. But you've done many other things too, gaming, uh, uh, design, painting. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, Maya Janmu, who is a professor in international migration law at the University of Oslo, has worked extensively on uh, refugee and human rights issues as particularly in the Middle East and Lebanon. Um, and uh, Cindy Horst, who is uh, here from, uh, from uh, Pio, uh, anthropologist working extensively on uh, questions to do with culture, agency, and uh, violent conflict, uh, and how um, you get inspirational and transformative acts in, in context of violence. Now, uh, we're gonna start off Maya and Omar, who's going to introduce uh, a new, brand new comic, which is in front of you, I, almost all the tables, Cardboard uh, Camp. Uh, and I'll leave you to, to talk about that. Then Cindy will present her research project, Transform. Uh, and then uh, Diala will uh, talk about her forthcoming comic on um, her Syrian childhood, autobiographical comic on uh, uh, politics in Syria. Uh, and then there will be a conversation uh, and then Q 
Q&A where you can uh, have your comments and questions. And we'll try to, uh, I'll try to be as efficient and keep as good time as possible. So without further ado, then I leave the floor to Maya and Omar. <laughs> thank you so much. And it's so lovely to be here. And thank you everybody for, for showing up this heat wave day uh, when I know everybody is very busy uh, before the summer holiday. Um, so last night we did the Oslo launch of uh, Cardboard Camp which is a graphic novel um, that uh, we have been developing uh, for almost a year and a half now, uh, right, Yazan? Yeah, my, I've, I've written it together with uh, Yazan Asadi, who is over here. He's unfortunately not on stage today, but he was very much on stage yesterday. Um, and uh, with Omar as well. And we were a group of 10 creatives that have uh, worked for a very long time on turning research that I have done uh, on Sudanese refugee protest outside the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees into um, a, a, a graphic novel, essentially. So that resulted in cardboard camp stories of Sudanese refugees in, in Lebanon. Uh, and here are just some photos also from the protest camp that I've been researching um, in, in Beirut since 2015. And the book essentially follows three characters, uh, Fahima, Sultan, and Kudi, as they make their way from Sudan to Lebanon and then to elsewhere. So act one follows their individual journeys uh, from Sudan to Lebanon, uh, mostly via Syria, and then from smuggling, or like by smuggling from Syria to, to Lebanon. Uh, and then Act 2 depicts them all coming together outside uh, UNHCR to protest their conditions in, in Lebanon. Um, sort of their mar marginalization, particularly among other refugee groups that have been deemed of, of greater political interest to the humanitarian sector in, in, in Lebanon for the past 10 uh, years or so. And, and the final act three tells us what happens uh, next. Um, so this is the reason why I'm here today on stage. Uh, and I can say that uh, this is my first time being involved in uh, research-based visual storytelling. Uh, the learning curve has been very, very steep. Uh, my co-creators have been very patient with me. I think that I'm the one who walks away from this having learned the most. Um, that's at least how I'm feeling. Um, and everything started with, with Yazan and I working together, over, mostly over Zoom, but also in Beirut, but a lot over Zoom, um, to write the actual script of the, of the comic. And that took uh, about eight, eight months, something like that. Uh, and then we drew in, in Omar and, uh, in addition, three more uh, artists. And it grew from, from there into turn, and turned into this massive, massive uh, project. And to a large extent, we actually did use dialogue that came straight from my interviews. So even though these characters are entirely fictional and the events are fictional, it's fair to say that everything has really happened. Uh, we also draw on videos that protesters have taken themselves of their interactions with UNHCR staff outside the office. Uh, so. So we, we try to keep the authenticity of the research material at the same time that we have taken some uh, sort of uh, artistic uh, leeway that maybe Omar will say uh, some things more about. 
Um, and in the writing, we've also uh, incorporated a fictional researcher in, in Act 3. So some of those, or some of you who have the comics in, in front of you can look at Act 3, and we have a fictional researcher who at one point emerges at the protest camp and then subsequently narrates all of, of Act 3 through her research and notes. Um, just a final word before I hand over to, uh, to Omar. Uh, the, the comic is available to read and to download online, cardboardcamp.net. It's available in, in Arabic and Sudanese dialect as well as in, in English. And we do have a few copies uh, on, the, on the tables as well. The QR code is uh, on the yeah. poster. You can just the QR code is on the poster. Yeah. yeah, it was, I mean, I learned a lot working on this as well. It's uh, uh, not true that you maybe learned more than me. It's hard to compare, but I did learn a lot because um, my job on this was to, uh, I drew act two, uh, but I, I was also the art director for, uh, um, you know, uh, in charge of like holding the whole vision together because we had three other artists other than me. Um, uh, Maya and Yezan wanted kind of um, uh, a way to control how everybody works together so that it all comes out as one thing and you don't have uh, it scattered around. So uh, we had uh, three artists in charge each of the individual um, uh, of the individual characters whose stories um, we follow. And in, uh, in uh, Act 1, if you look at the books, you can see it uh, clear. Um, you see the individual <laughs> stories kind of running parallel to each other. And so the first character, Fahima, was drawn by uh, Noemi Hunain. And the second, uh, well, this is the third character, uh, who is Kudi, who's drawn by Siren Mukhaibir. And this is... Um, character that's called Sultan and he's drawn by uh, Anthony Hanna and in um, so in act one we had the three stories running in parallel um, but we wanted each uh, person to be drawn like the story of each person to be drawn by individual artists because it kind of gave them an individual voice because um, each part of that is narrated by the character themselves and you kind of the handwriting also gives you that individuality that this person is speaking now and each um, each character had a unique color uh, also to signify their story. Here there's the yellow color that doesn't exist in here. Here the pink color is what stands out, and then here's the blue color. Um, and this is when they're kind of having a separate journey. And in Act 2, uh, is the act that I drew, is when they all kind of come together. Um, which is, yeah, there we go, that. Um, and you have um, all three characters taking part, so all the colors are now intermixed. And um, this kind of, we wanted to uh, emphasize this kind of togetherness that they all felt like, because in their origin, in their stories in Act One, they all feel quite alone and quite separate from anything. There's no sense of um, community that they, there's nobody they can rely on. But here in the, uh, in the camp where they were having, they were uh, doing this protest, um, there was this sense of camaraderie. They finally felt like they belonged somewhere and there was people who were listening to them or understand them. So we wanted kind of to unite that under one artist, mixing all those colors together. And I've also taken out the black outlines uh, kind of to soften also the hard um, contours of everything. And then uh, eventually uh, at the end of the camp, which is broken up at the end of um, uh, chapter two, comes act three where they're separate again and the colors are also separate and then each story is individually finished by itself because they each went their separate ways. Um, 
Uh, yeah, and that's um, that's basically what my job was to hold these things together. Uh, visually work with the artists. They each had their own individual styles, their individual visions. So it was part of my job to not to make them all look like they're the same thing, but try to have them keep that individuality while at the same time having the work be coherent altogether and be able to fit on the same page at the same time and not be too distracting or all over the place. Um, yeah, so that was uh, my job on the cardboard <laughs> camp, and um, I hope you guys can enjoy it. Uh, look through and see what we've done. And um, yeah, it was a great experience. I learned a lot. I had never... Um, um, I've edited a lot of stuff, but I've never kind of directed three people, like such a tight team, and been so involved in every, you know, in their panels, be like, okay, this, this angle is a little bit off, or this doesn't work with the story, these panels are too similar. So it was a nice experience for me to get to know the artists quite intimately and watch them kind of grow and evolve and get better at what they were doing. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was quite wonderful for me. It's, it's a fascinating uh, comic, I mean, on the visual narrative and research levels for me, and we're certainly going to talk some more about that. Uh, I have questions about it. Uh, uh, so, but uh, uh, but uh, first, we'll move on to Cindy and then Diala, and then we'll, uh, we'll open up a conversation between, between uh, all of us. Yeah, thank you so much for this uh, uh, kind of fast act. Um, and it's really great, great because as a researcher, I'm working with very similar kind of uh, processes, both animations and and, uh, and comics. Um, mostly collaborating with uh, positive negatives in the UK, uh, and really thinking about how do we integrate visual storytelling in research processes, not as a kind of afterthought of dissemination, but really uh, throughout the learning that we do as researchers, or not just as researchers then. So how do we learn together in this process of visual storytelling, which is different from the storytelling that, so I work as an anthropologist, I work through life stories uh, a lot as an approach, so asking people uh, to tell the story of their, their lives, it's, it's verbal, right? And you're missing an awful lot not to also think visually, not also to think, if you do animations, also to think about sound. Um, so that's something I've worked with and I thought I should specifically talk about one project because there's too much to talk about. Uh, the Transform project, which ended a couple of years ago, started in 2017. Uh, and we actually, we created um, a virtual exhibition about the project so you can have a look at that. Both like the approach, how did, did we do it, what were our findings, but also maybe something about impact, which is really difficult. I think it will be interesting for you also to see how do you then, uh, yeah, measure, or not measure, but how do you look at what actually happens with this storytelling you do uh, for the people that you're, I guess, mostly doing it for, right? Uh, so the first, so the Transform Project uh, studied why and how people fight for social justice in times of war and oppression. So basically when it's really, really difficult to do so, and especially in the kind of uh, traditional ways that we really look at, or usually look at um, resistance, which is like protesting, and like how do, you, how do you protest in a situation like in Myanmar, where, I mean, either you end up dead or you end up in prison. So what are actually the ways that people still resist, and how on earth do they manage to do this? What motivates them? Uh, this was 
based on research in Myanmar, Syria, and Somaliland. And in Myanmar, we uh, based uh, the study on, or, or this is done by Martin Nielsen, my colleague. Uh, and it was a uh, life story work with a land right activist that Marta had worked with for many, many years. Uh, and Q. Cool was the artist who created the work. And she managed to visually really express very strong emotions, for example, of fear, despair, while telling a really powerful story. Um, I love this picture. This was taken by Bendix from Positive Negatives. Um, while Marta had worked with the land right activist and she collected the story, actually Q. Cool came back with the, with the team to meet Dobak Jo. Uh, and she was told the story herself. And basically Marta and Ben just kind of went and drank <laughs> coffee somewhere. Uh, and it was really powerful to see across generations and ethnic dividing lines also in urban-rural differences. Uh, this is basically the facial expression that Kyuku apparently had throughout that conversation. So for her, also an incredibly powerful uh, experience, which I think is very important to think about. What, what, if we think about ripple effects, what are they? I think this was a very powerful ripple effect. Uh, and this is an example, like afterwards in the protests in Myanmar, the Spring Revolution from 2021, Kyuko's work has been appearing frequently in the protests. Uh, for Syria, I think this looks familiar to you, Diala. Uh, the focus of the animation was on activist uh, humanitarian uh, people who focused on providing Syrian children with education. Uh, Diala was the artist. And the research was uh, done by Shetel Selvik at NUPI. Uh, and I think also nice with the focus on education because you've done an awful lot of work related to education. Um, and again, also the images very powerfully visualize emotions and stories in ways, ways that reach audiences. I mean, I can't do this. I don't know whether you've ever read any of my academic articles. It's not really, not really there. <laughs> Yes, but you, so what happens is like fear, you feel it in the body. So an animation like this, you watch it and you feel it in your body, which I can never achieve. Uh, then for Somaliland, uh, the UFO struggle for justice. So we created this, it's both a comic and an animation. There's some comics there for those of you interested. It tells the story of the UFO, which is a group of teachers and doctors who during the dictatorship of Siad Baga contributed to the healthcare system. And again, like it's impossible to politically challenge things, so people find other ways. And this was in the north, which is present-day Somaliland. The artist was Pat uh, Masioni, uh, and his 80s style, I think, fitted really well because this actually took place in the 80s. Um, the comics and animation was particularly complex because it represented a story of a group of people. And then also afterwards, <coughs> the civic action of students, of ordinary citizens. So there we really work with a scriptwriter uh, to, uh, to kind of do, uh, do the work. So if you are interested in more, I really encourage you to look at the virtual exhibition and I will pass on to Diala. Uh, so yeah, I, I, like I got a fellowship from uh, Investigative uh, uh, Journalism Association in uh, Berlin. And uh, they wanted to talk about like education under ISIS and all that. So I wanted to uh, to talk about my uh, childhood uh, that uh, 
really was very long. Uh, we had uh, uh, military uniform to go to school every day. And uh, really, uh, I, I realized that a lot of people, they don't know even like around us uh, in the Middle East. Uh, so we had this unique uh, education. And uh, military class was really very important, uh, like mathematics. Uh, so, and uh, we had to learn how to use a Kalashnikov. I forgot now, so don't worry. <laughs> I'm not dangerous. <laughs> but like this kind of like uh, childhood, and it was really obligatory to, to have this uh, in all Syria. So I thought like uh, it's a big influence. Uh, if you want to talk about like Syria was normal before the war. No, it wasn't normal. We had a really weird childhood, weird time and all that. So the book is talking about like by my uh, life, uh, my, my biography, it's talking about this kind of experience in, in school. Uh, till uh, the revolution started in Syria. And then in parallel, uh, there is uh, another biography of like journalist. Uh, he's the other one, his, his uh, name is Basil Hamado. And uh, he did uh, investigation uh, about uh, the uh, ISIS curriculum. Uh, so the idea in this book is to compare between uh, uh, both uh, curriculums, like both they encourage uh, violence. So, but just like ISIS, they took all uh, the propaganda because uh, they have, I don't know, good cameras. Uh, and uh, like uh, Bas Party, they were like doing also horrible things. And we had like really uh, not easy uh, childhood in school um, because of the same kind of mentality. But yeah, uh, like we have a campaign uh, in Syria, we call it same shit. Uh, like it's co uh, the comparison between ISIS and uh, Assad uh, regime. So yeah, this book is about uh, the education and uh, like uh, bef before under Abbas and uh, under ISIS and the education, uh, alternative education during uh, the war as well. Uh, like this is Hafez uh, Assad the father and uh, in the book, I don't want to spoil the book, but you can, uh, I just wanted to show that uh, he has, um, uh, he had like uh, posters everywhere in the school and in the classroom, uh, in the street. So we we always felt we we've been watched. Even like homework, uh, a notebook, uh, there was like uh, his photo. So uh, we felt like he's watching us wherever we go. So that was like really big. And it's so weird, but we used to call him the father. This father of all of us. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and uh, this book uh, is forthcoming next month, right? Yeah, it's coming very soon, like uh, next month. In the beginning, it will be uh, in English. Uh, I wrote it in, in, uh, in the beginning, it will be in, in German. I wrote it in English, uh, but it was translated to German. I hope one day it will be translated to uh, English as well. So, uh, yeah, I like. It's by uh, my story I, and Basil's story, but also I did uh, a research between my friends to just compare uh, our experiences together. And uh, yeah, how, because also like uh, th there was, uh, yeah, so we, we can't go to the next step if we don't do a military summer camp, for example. 
So I didn't do the military summer camp, and I studied uh, the, uh, the rest of the school, the high school, at home. So yeah, this is when you refuse to do military. <laughs> you have to do it by your own. So uh, we have until uh, 10, and we will leave time for questions uh, and, and comments from the audience. But just a couple of questions I, I'd like to explore with you in conversation before we get to that part. Uh, and to start with, uh, with Omar and uh, Diala, there are many ways to explore you know, human lives, human life worlds. So what is it that draws you? What's the attraction of doing it visually, visual art, in exploring uh, human lives? That's the first part of, of the question. And then I'm very interested in what are the opportunities and challenges that arise when you cooperate with researchers uh, and you know, their sort of the world they come from, which, which is, you know, as Hindi said, quite different. Uh, the, the form is quite different uh, traditionally from what you did. For me, uh, it was very important to do it uh, visually because, uh, like this kind of uh, memories, they they were not do documented in any way, and uh, even sometimes, like I was searching uh, on Google to find like. Uh, uh, photos as reference, but uh, it's not really easy to find. And uh, also, like when I was like doing research, it was by uh, Facebook, um, my Facebook account. Uh, I realized like there is many people they ha they had no idea that uh, this happened in Syria. So for me, uh, it was uh, the only way to do it uh, visually to show. Uh, people how we really uh, like uh, lived the, the experience i think like uh, uh, just writing the story is not enough uh, especially to show the uniform uh, uh, the military coach uh, that was really scary for example <laughs> and uh, yeah all these details uh, also she had like patch uh, she always had patch of like hafzal assad photo on on her uh, vest so yeah this kind of details and like as as, as I said, like uh, Hafez al Assad uh, photo and status was everywhere. Like uh, vi visually, you you can really reach to this point to to show people how terrifying it was. Like uh, and also like uh, the ISIS part as well. Uh, of course, uh, the ISIS part is everywhere uh, because, uh, as I said, they had they had good cameras. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think. It's very, it was very important to make it as comic uh, as well, uh, yeah, to show the reality, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, when you cooperate then with people like Kjetil uh, Selvik, who was mentioned as a political scientist or the Sindhi anthropologist. So what, uh, what, do you, what do you get out of that that you wouldn't, you know, uh, that wouldn't be there if you worked only on your own? Yeah, I, uh, um, it's it's much easier. I really struggled with the book. Uh, it took me five years, <laughs> <laughs> doing all the <laughs> and doing the research and all that. Uh, like my my brain was uh, everywhere, so uh, it's it's much easier and it's it's really not my job. Uh <laughs> I remember once we were talking about it, like when you were like interviewing me. And you told me like, oh, this is kind of PhD uh, project. And I was like, oh, tell them, <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> so yeah, it's just like uh, collecting all stories and put them together like in, in one uh, scenario. Uh, it's really very helpful. Even though like the scenario was like uh, for more than three minutes. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I really love uh, working. I, I'm fascinated to work with uh, researchers and journalists. Uh, I feel like uh, this combination between artists, journalists, and researchers is really uh, uh, powerful and like uh, it's uh, very rich because like ma many things, uh, like you said yesterday, uh, like uh, when you when you write uh, something and it gets changed uh, by uh, the visual part, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it was like this as well, like working uh, together. So uh, it's a it's a combination. It's not like you get the scenario or the script and you just translate it. You you need to to do it like in a way that it goes back and forth. So it's kind of like uh, a nice fight. Because <laughs> it it can get a little bit um, yeah. It's not always it's not always a, a love thing. Sometimes there's a little bit of tension that you have to, uh, but the tension also makes it makes it better, yeah. right? It challenges like you uh, and yeah. Uh, writers they have expectations, no? Yes. <laughs> yes, the, the capoeira metaphor is, is nice, uh, Omar. And you said, I mean, you said that uh, you learned a lot from working on this cardboard camp with uh, with Maya and the others. So, uh, so what did you learn? I mean, what's what's the sort of added value or takeaway, added value for you as a visual artist in working with uh, research on a on a comic like this? Well, I mean, I, this is all, this is the kind of stuff that I wouldn't usually do uh, on my own. I've worked uh, with Yezen a lot before this book um, on nonfiction comics for uh, the, the Nib. It's uh, an online kind of uh, portal for nonfiction comics is actually unfortunately closing down in a couple of months but it's been around for a while but we we do together some uh, we've done some comics about what it's like living in Lebanon about the, the uprising in uh, 2019 and then the situate the political situation the ex export explosion the bunch of stuff um, but um, this had a specific kind of uh, new uh, form because it was between like fiction. I mean, it was based. It was. It's a fictional story based on research. Um, whereas what me and Yezen do is kind of more about what it's like for us to be there and do it. So it's more directly real. So here there was a an interesting challenge to um, yeah give it like the the drama of a fictional story, but still make it feel grounded in reality and s really speak to the the story of these of these people that are going through this um it's there's like a heavy responsibility there um and it's not about me you know when i st again when i'm working on stuff about lebanon i can be completely free because it's about what i feel and what i'm going through so that's much much easier but when i have to represent somebody else's what they're going through um that was a very uh, specific challenge of okay wanting to be truthful and but not wanting it to be dry and wanting to um, yeah, be faithful to these people's experiences. Um, and there was a lovely, fulfilling moment when we released this in Lebanon. Our audience was mainly uh, the, Sudanese, um, uh, the, the Sudanese community in Lebanon. And it was wonderful to see them identify with the characters. And a lot of them, so we had a talk, and a lot of them stood up and said, I feel very seen, very represented in this. And it's a very emotional. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm tearing up right now just talking about it. because they were going. You know, there's a war there now, and they all were really um, 
moved by you know being heard and they they spoke their mind and a lot of people just wanted to just say what they're going through as well and e even stopped talking about the book entirely and we're just talking about their families and what it's like being a refugee and so this was something that I didn't experience anywhere else this is something that I learned about like the direct impact seeing it um, when you're talking about somebody else being worried about oh, this is something important to be said but is it gonna feel to them like you know we're helping them out or this is gonna feel like we're appropriating their story there's just a lot of dangers there that you don't want to kind of fall into so um, yeah, this is somewhat the challenge and what I learned about when I... That's a really important point. And, uh, and how did you, as sort of art director of this project, so how did you try and solve... So obviously it was successful, I mean, because people felt they were uh, represented. But while you were doing this, uh, this and you, uh, you couldn't know beforehand. So how did you try and work to to make sure that uh, that you could represent them as well as possible, this being some not somebody else, not in your mind. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we tried to base um, uh, as much as possible on uh, research, visual, you know, looked up a lot of things visually, um, and um, Maya had a lot of um, videos taken on people's phones from the actual um, from the actual protests that happened i mean this is one it was a number of protests and camps that happened throughout two or uh, three years was it and but they were kind of uh, yeah, yeah longer than that and they were kind of combined into one theoretical one that we called the cardboard camp so we took a lot of these videos and looked through them even though there aren't like, you know, there are videos that people take in secret because there's cops there and you're not allowed to. So you have to just kind of freeze frame it and be like, oh, this is what this person looked like. This is what the gate is like uh, here. And this is because you're not allowed to go to UN and HCR and take photos of the building or like what the police is dressed like or all of these things are just high security things. So you have to kind of sift through the background and like the fuzzy photo and freeze, uh, you know. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but we had a lot of discussions about what it looks like outside UNHCR yeah. and how we should depict that because, and, I mean, and, and yeah, absolutely like inside. And and because what's interesting and also very, very frightening in a way is the way that um, the outside area and the inside as well of UNHCR has changed over the past decade. Uh, sort of reflecting the large number of refugees in, in Lebanon, they have sort of securitized. Um, the, it's, it's basically a fortress UNHCR now, and it wasn't like that 10 years ago. So w what, what do we choose? Which, which era? If we're sort of putting together this fictional cardboard camp that sort of represents 10 years of, of protests, like how do we visually show the development and the fortification of, mm. of uh, the space as well? Uh, so we, we had lots of back, yeah. and back and we tried forth a little on bit. how There's do we a, do a, it. A <laughs> some sequ like every now and then in the camp part, you see it get more, um, you know, more built up and they have put walls up and there's more, like, uh, what do you call it, uh, barbed wire and things. But yeah, it's like, what, is what does it look like inside? And there's some point there inside at the um, at the reception desk and like well what's that where's there's that elevator there what's the window all these things were very difficult to um, kind of figure out from the tiny photos and what people said uh, but you just have to sit and try your best to look at all the angles and, and make something up that at least if it's not 100% accurate is as close to what it could feel like as you can uh, muster I mean being an artist is Partly your job is to inhabit and become the person that you're, you're doing. I mean, just like an actor does in the, com in the comic 
uh, in doing a comic, you're you're le- you're the actor, but you're also the director, and you're also the the cine- the scenographer, and you're also the the cinematographer, and um, so you also have to be like, okay, what is it like for me if I go when I go through this? I'm standing at security, and and there are a lot of personal experience that I can draw on that I've been made to feel this way, like going to get a visa, as a Lebanese person, going to get a visa at like an American embassy in Lebanon, you have to, you're treated in a very similar way as um, Lebanese people treat the Sudanese people or, you know, or the UN people treat the Sudanese people. So it's a combination of like the personal experience and trying as best as you can to gather as much research and inhabit that personality. Uh, to transition on to, to Maya and, and Cindy, so fro- you talked about, uh, well, you all of you have talked about impact. So to start with the, the impact part, you as researchers, what's, what's the attraction for you in working with visual media and visual art forms when doing your research, you know, sort of writing, writing or drawing up uh, your research? Uh, I mean, there are many aspects to this, but to start with the, with the impact, uh, because some of the people who got impacted here were, were these actual research participants, right? The Sudanese that were uh, interviewed. Uh, and that's you know, a, a kind of impact that I think researchers too seldom often think about because you think about the research community, the peers and so on for impact. But this is a very different kind of impact. Could you talk a, a bit about uh, impact and visual storytelling in research? Shall I just start briefly and then you can fill in with, you, with your tons of, of experience? Um, I think for me the alluring uh, part of visual storytelling in this way is there's actually two aspects to this. Uh, and it, both of them relate to, to impact. So on the one hand, it's about giving back to research uh, participants. Like, um, I ha- Obviously, I've shared my research articles with my Sudanese informants, but yeah, they glance through them. But obviously, this is a completely different world uh, to them. It, it's, uh, in, in many ways, incomprehensible. Um, I think what the, the graphic form does, and this is something that it's, it's been, been a really a journey for me as well, because I do not come um, from a background. Um, I have not read comics as a child even, or as an adult. Um, I think that I've had a very um, sort of distance approach to comics. I, I, I have felt that um, they have, sort, they have um, created a distance to the to the topic rather than brought it closer. And after this experience, I feel exactly the opposite, mm-hmm. because I think that what comics and, and visual storytelling this way is able to do is to distill very, very difficult topics uh, that are hard to stomach, uh, sort of if you if you even look at them visually, like if you have a photograph or if you have footage, like some of the videos that we've been looking at uh, when, when we've been preparing uh, cardboard camp, um, they're almost too much mm-hmm. in a way, you know? So I think that this form, it manages to distill very, very difficult uh, and, and emotionally difficult topics uh, and make them more accessible, but, but not negating sort of um, the sort of the, the, the core of it in any way. So I, and I think that this also reaches out then to the research participants mm. uh, in a way. So it's, it's about uh, representation and giving back to the community. But it's also about, um, if I, I'm just allowed to say something about policy impact, mm-hmm. uh, that I think that this form of visual storytelling has 
uh, an opportunity to create empathy in a way that obviously our research articles do not. Um, and if we can create some sort of policy change or decision makers can, can sort of um, empathize with um, those who are represented in our visual storytelling, I think that that actually does have an opportunity or provide an opportunity to, to also change policy. Mm. Yeah, I mean, at first when you said impact, I was like, damn, because that's not what I want to talk about. Um, but uh, actually, maybe I do. And I think it's really interesting to think about what is impact to us. Um, you're asking about what it does to work together with, uh, like in this way, uh, with creatives. And uh, if we think about impact as something that is about transforming, transforming people, then I can actually say what I was going to say. Because even just looking at this group here, it's quite interesting how we work. <laughs> just happen to be the researchers holding the kind of pen and paper or maybe a more advanced version. Um, so what is impact? Impact is also about thinking. So researchers, I mean, first of all, we extract and we try not to do that. That's kind of, okay, we're now there that we are aware of that. We don't tr try to do it. We observe. We are outside, we register. Uh, and then there are many who try to do things differently, right? But that's basically what the researcher does. And that requires this, it requires noting, it requires, it's a very different uh, way of just kind of being, being in the here and now and kind of um, relating to what's there in front of you. Right, And I feel that that's, to me, the biggest impact of working with creatives and artists is that I start increasingly questioning. It's actually really complicated because now I'm like, how am I going to write my articles? Because very often I don't do this anymore um, because it feels so wrong on so many levels. Um, but then I was also going to talk about, like, your, you were talking about this heavy responsibility. I loved working with artists for the first time and realizing the dilemmas and questions are actually very similar. So in we had a comic uh, on uh, the Somali community in European cities, and the person drawing the comic was so, so occupied with, is this how I should be visualizing these people? Do I do justice to their realities? Like, and really, really kind of such a heavy burden. I was like, oh, I struggle with exactly the same thing. Uh, I, I have different approaches, but... And I think until... Because ultimately we're intermediaries because... People's, people are not able to lift up and make visible their own experiences. So to me, this is, in a way, it's kind of a temporary thing, especially as researchers. Ultimately, this shouldn't be the case. I shouldn't be telling a story about an UFO history in Somaliland. That is not how these kind of stories need to be kind of shared. So all these questions about responsibility, representation, Etc. I think is really interesting and comes with this uh, working together with uh, with artists. Then the visual aspects, uh, the fear, the being op like oppression, violence, etc. has so many visual aspects, which again we don't really think about so much. Uh, and then when it comes to the ripple effects, to me that's something that happens kind of throughout the process, like the picture of Hugh Cool just sitting there, like. And there's so much she's learning there. So if we if we think about impact, I guess that's what I'm going to say. If we think about impact in different ways from how we usually think about impact, it's about how do we transform from the tiny, like just 
a thought that comes into someone's mind, a way of doing things, a way of being that shifts. And that's also impact in us as researchers, in us as creators, artists, um, because if we think about impact as we send a report to, I don't know, UNHCR, and that's going to change the world, I don't think UNHCR has any interest in changing what they're doing. So that's not where the kind of impact is going to be. Something really tiny. Uh, also, like uh, when we we make like something uh, visual, I believe we we make it more personal. We personalize it because we add a layer of emotions. Like for example, sometimes uh, like not just uh, in comics. Uh, even when I do illustrations, uh, sometimes I I get inspired by a photo. Like. Uh, uh, I mean, war photo. It's uh, it could not attract anyone because like photos they normalized w uh, violence, for example, photography. But like uh, when uh, we do it, uh, this is another way of visualizing it. When uh, like we draw it in a uh, in another way, so we add a layer of emotions. We personalize it more. I I believe. Thank you. There are more questions I'd like to ask, but we only have 10 minutes now. So uh, I think I'll open up uh, for questions and comments from the audience. I invite anybody to, uh, to have the mic. Yes, please. Um, this is actually a question that leads from your last question, <coughs> because I did want to ask about impact, and you have touched upon it. The other side is like, you know, what is the reception of this work been? You know, because now when you do multidisciplinary work, we also working within, like you said, channels with very pre-established notions of audience, work, impact, and the rest of it. Um, if you can speak to this, uh, what has the reception been, and what have the challenges been? You know, like uh, both from as a research perspective, and you say, "Oh, what is this comics?" Or for uh, for artists saying, "Oh, is this too much research? This is not going to meet your target audience because this is way too." Head heavy, you know, you you know the kind of stuff that we hear about. If you can reflect on that a little bit, I, I think from from my perspective. So we launched the cardboard camp yesterday, last night. So I'm really curious to see what the reception will be. Uh, I don't see that many of my law faculty colleagues here. <laughs> um, a, a couple, um, but uh, but not an overwhelming uh, majority, certainly not. Uh, so we will have to see. I'm really, really curious myself as, as to what the reception in the academic community uh, will be like. And I don't know, Omar, if you have anything like, what, what, what is the standing of the, of a, a of a sort of research-based comic within the artistic community. Um, how is that perceived? Um, I mean, there's a pretty big movement of nonfiction comics, as we call them now. And a lot of people are really interested in uh, that. We were part of an exhibition, Yezen and I, in uh, University of Oregon with like Joe Sacco and uh, uh, a couple of other people that we've worked with from the NIB that I mentioned. It's a growing uh, medium that is, um, you know, getting more and more uh, visibility uh, around the world. So, um, as like a you know work of art, it definitely has you know less maybe interest in the you know the purely artistic community that are just interested in the breaking boundaries of what comics are and things like that. Sure, it's not going to be as interesting for them, and I'm sure again, it's I mean I'm just. Uh, thinking out loud here, I'm sure again it, for int for research uh, side of things, people aren't gonna take it as seriously as they take papers because 
everybody just wants to keep doing things the way they like to do them. But the most important thing is that this brings, for me, is that this brings both of those things closer to the general audience, which is, I mean, ideally, that's the audience that matters the most. Um, those are the people that eventually can become researchers or, uh, you know, and so making this accessible for a wider audience so that we're people of different um, uh, disciplines are talking about similar things, not just artists are talking about artist things and that interest them, and then researchers are talking to each other about research-heavy things, and nobody's uh, inter-talking. So it's the intersection between these two places that is interesting for me as a new audience for both of those things. Okay, this is in defense of academics, because I think there are a lot of my colleagues here. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, and also, yeah, from, from the university. I think it has a lot to do with the discipline. Uh, and But at the same time, I, so kind of, uh, is it political science? Is it law? Uh, is it anthropology? I mean, I uh, was in the committee of an anthropology PhD thesis, which was a comic. Um, so I think it really also depends on where you speak, while at the same time, yes, for some uh, academic communities, this is like nice, like, I don't know whether it's dissemination, or yeah, often also maybe some children's things. So there are people who don't take it serious, and I've learned to relate to the people who do, uh, and then work from, uh, work from there. But yes, there are many academics in this room, very interested. <laughs> I speak on all of you, like, I, you look very interested, so I, <laughs> I think you, yeah. They came out, yes, exactly, breakfast. Thank you. We have a question over here, and I forgot to say, please state uh, who you are. My name is Krishnan from Urban Economy Forum. I was just wondering, fascinated by the descriptions that you have, just wondering the, the role of um, uh, this work in raising awareness, you know, which I think is an important aspect of that. It's difficult to measure awareness, uh, you know, how it raises awareness. But nevertheless, I suppose you have, you have that in mind when you produce these, yeah, as uh, possibly compared to researchers. You know, they may be doing research, being discussed in uh, meetings and kind of things, maybe sort of catching dust afterwards on the shelves. But the point is, where, whereas this work kind of things, combining this, have a major further role in raising awareness, not only among the people who are aware of the subject, but also among the, among the sort of policymakers and, and, and ordinary people. Are there any ways in which you could sort of have this in mind when you did this work? or you did this work mostly as a combination of this. Um, and another one is that there's a continuum of misery in the sense that while you have the, the, the Sudanese refugees coming into Lebanon, Lebanon itself is facing you know, innumerable challenges and kind of things. So how do you sort of you know, measure or compare these miseries in a way? I mean, this, the, the, how does it you know, have this in a, in a context of continuing this about 183 million people now? On, on, on sort of uh, searching for a uh, safer place to stay. Thank you. Do you direct a question to anybody in yeah, particular? Uh, the uh, the, uh, the uh, people who have done the work on, on uh, refugees from, from, from uh, Khartoum. I'm thinking of uh, the question of raising awareness. Um, so, sh sure, one of the ambitions was to highlight, uh, spotlight the situation of a very small refugee group in Lebanon who uh, was, who has been sort of marginalized in the broader humanitarian response, which for the past decade has mainly focused on the country's million, a million and a half Syrian refugees. 
Um, and the, the Sudanese refugee community is, is tiny. It's just a few thousand. Um, and the, the UN's vulnerability assessment itself like shows how marginalized this group is in comparison with other refugee groups in the country. Um, so certainly there was an intention um, with doing this comic in sort of showing or spotlighting the, this, the very difficult situation of a very small group of, of uh, refugees in, in, in Lebanon. Uh, so certainly uh, that, was, that was an ambition. And the other question, I don't remember. Oh, the situation in Lebanon in general. Obviously, obviously, we cannot do justice even to the full stories of the people that we are sort of representing in, in the comic. Uh, and this is just a snapshot of, of a situation. Um, and I would say that it's sort of the research took place before the economic collapse before the revolution in 2019. So all of these aspects have not really been um, included in what we've done here. I don't know if you want to add anything on sort of our thinking around. Um, I mean, my personal thinking as I was doing it is, I mean, you basically have to compartmentalize all the miseries in, in your different sides of your brain. Like I know that there, I know so many people in Lebanon that are going through so many terrible things right now, and I can't be thinking of all of those things while I'm doing everything yet. And I'll have to just kind of focus, you know, try as best as I can to focus my, my mind on it, the specific misery that I'm working on at the moment. Um, and there's just really no other way to do that. It gets really heavy, but what are you going to do? Um, that's just the way of the world. And not, not only in Lebanon. I mean, there are endless amounts of people in the world that are um, going through terrible, terrible things. And focusing on one sometimes feels unfair for everything else that's going around you. But unfortunately, you're just one person at one given moment. And you can only do as much as you can do at that moment. So you, you, know, you try to bring your, rein your mind into let me focus on this and try to ha do the impact that I can do on this specific thing. And then when I have a few other minutes, I'll get depressed about everything else that's going on or try to come up with an or work with somebody else about it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's uh, an upcoming project that I'm working on with somebody um, that's about like a much larger problem. And, I've, and, you know, and now I'm moving on to the next batch of misery to try and to try and tackle but uh, yeah you have to just to kind of do it bit by bit spoon spoon by spoon spoonful by spoonful but i think this is also something that we we t we talked about a bit um when we as we were going to launch this in beirut last month because we were thinking like well, what will people think when we're launching a comic about the situation and then we invite the sudanese community who is struggling even more today than what they were doing a few years ago and all right, what are they going to think about us making a comic uh, and a comic about their misery as well, um, because obviously we've we've had sort of uh, we've showed parts of, of of the of the comic during the process uh, to people in the community, but just gathering the whole community um, with lots of diverse uh, voices, what what will the reception be amid the ongoing misery? But it was generally I was I was positively surprised that how, at how how important. Uh, uh, the community as a whole actually felt that this was. Um, yeah, definitely. But to just also wanted to go back to the multiple miseries. I, I, some something slipped my mind. I was literally actually working with Yezan on another comic about living in Lebanon uh, through the economic collapse 
at the same time, which I just finished yesterday. I sent off from here, from Oslo, uh, at 3 in the morning, actually when I got from the in from the airport. I, th I lost my bag at the airport. They didn't give me I filled in the report for the bag, and then I had to send a comic to the States about living in Lebanon and going through the economic collapse and how it is right now. And it starts out actually with a bit of a story that Maya was telling us, which is at the you wake up in the middle of the night, the room is shaking. Is it an earthquake? Is that you try to turn on the light to find out what happens? There's no electricity. What can you do? It's kind of uh, goes that. So the comp compartmentalizing ha happens like really simultaneously. And I sometimes when I'm talking about this, I completely forget the other stuff that I'm talking <laughs> that, that I was doing. So this is why I'm like, oh yeah, there was literally one that I'm working on right now at the same time. So. Um, that one is called Living in Lebanon, uh, a, um, a multi-genre uh, survival game. And it's framed like a video game, and you're going through it like, oh, you wake up, this is happening, what do you do? You know, you go to the window, it's, so it's drawn like living in Lebanon through this collapse. It's like a video game of choices. How do you, what, what worst choices, you know, how, which bad choice do you choose out of the terrible choices that you have? So. Thank you for the super interesting uh, presentation. Um, I'm Eleanor, I work here at PRIA as a research assistant. And I just wanted to reflect a little bit on the medium of the comic, because it, to me it seems a little bit like the obvious choice in combining research and art. And it's still, it still has so many, so many elements of sort of this traditional research. Like it's, it's uh, you have the textual element and then you have the, you have the sequence of the panels, and it's sort of very a very clear narrative, and and all of these can also be found in academic writing. If I mean, hopefully uh, somehow. Um, so I was just wondering, especially to the artists in the room, like where do you think this collaboration can go, or where do you think it will go, and can we sort of uh, take uh, make it even more abstract or? Or can we take away the text? Can we take away the panels? And can we sort of, yeah, w where can we push the boundaries? And, and where do you see this developing in the future? All right, so I was wondering, I don't know if I remember it right, but you said something about having the stance that is like the text is inspiring the visuals and the visual is inspiring the text. So I would love to hear more about like this back and forth. And then also um, using visual storytelling as a research method throughout the process did it open up a new approach or a new area you wanted to explore with your research while using visual storytelling in between the research process? Wonderful. So the back and forth and uh, the, re the, the, the research process as a method for then Cindy and Maya, I think. And we need really short answers. <laughs> we'll start with, uh, with Diela. Because I remember. <laughs> no, but also like uh, it's, there is something similar as well. Uh, actually, uh, uh, like... Uh, w like for example, when we have the text, uh, like pa big part of it, it's translated to something visual. So we we replace uh, some like uh, of the text uh, by uh, the visual. So like when you were asking as well uh, about this, yeah. Like sometimes, uh, for example, um, uh, when I work on a text uh, with a, with a writer, like uh, I feel like there is something else uh, to be added uh, from my uh, like visual memory or something. So I added in the visual. So we we like. Uh, uh, sometimes this adds to the text as well. It's not just we replace the, uh, something from the text by the visual. We also like add to the to the text uh, by the visual. I don't know if it's clear. 
the idea. I feel like I'm running. You. Um, I think it's mostly this um, becoming much more aware that the verbal focus is, is so limited. So kind of like this understanding of, okay, fear is deeply embodied. I think that's something I was aware of, but I am interested in much more. And I think Eleanor's question really links to that because comics are still our stories in that. So what happens if you just... Uh, much more freely explore uh, collaborations with artists where it's not fixed. I think yesterday Khalid talked about this kind of stand-up comedian versus the impro, and I was like, oh yeah, but I want to do the impro stuff, uh, because that's where the real, I feel, the real boundaries can be pushed. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, interesting what you're saying is to if, um, you know, when the the artists and the writers start working at the same time, like maybe something more interesting can happen. A lot of the times uh, when you're working, the writer works for a while first and then they get a thing and it feels a little bit limiting for the artist and you're, some, you're somehow pushing back in some places before because you're like, oh, I feel like this will work better once you see it visually, especially when you're sketching, you see a thing that's written down, you're like, okay, this doesn't really work that way, this has to be this way or, when you see the line being s coming out of somebody's mouth, it doesn't read well like it's somebody you're reading it on the page. And these are back and forth. And I think it's uh, interesting to to start together and have the collaboration be a bit more free. And you know, when I work with just with Yezan as well, because we're so used to each other, Yezan gives me a script, but also allows me the freedom to just kind of turn it on its head all, as much as possible. And then he'll, I'll get, give him something, and then he'll be like, okay, what if this happened? And we work a little bit more freely with this. And like, oh, well, what if it's a video game? It's not an actual comic book. And, you know, it'll go back and forth. So this is something that will evolve with time once you're used to uh, working with somebody. And if you give that kind of early start with them, it can lead to a more interesting dance fight than, uh, than, than being a fight more than that. I think I've s spoken too much already. It's your turn. No, I, th I think because in, in our case, uh, we had already done the research. The research was done. The, re the, the articles were mostly published already. And we went back to ma the material thinking, what, can we, what more can we do with this in order to make it more accessible, make it more digestible, uh, make it sort of... Um, more impactful in, in a very broad uh, respect of, of, of impact. Uh, I think what the, the next step um, for this type of collab collaboration, at least for me, is to start this process already when the research is, is being done. Uh, to think about um, visual storytelling, visual representation even, uh, much, research. much earlier in, in the process. So I have new ideas, Omar. <laughs> this is, it would be interesting to, when you conduct the interview, to have an artist there and do be sketching from that stage because that will give you, I, I mean, that's it, just start the collaboration earlier. And, and that's actually a quite happy note to end <laughs> this conversation on. So thank you very much to the panel. Thank you uh, to the audience for sitting over time. Uh, and uh, it's been a lovely event. Very interesting for me too.